Proverbs 4. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be glad to put one in your hand. It should be already marked for the fourth chapter. Starting with verse 1. Hear, my children, instruction, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender, and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words, keep my commands, and live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all your understanding, in all, in all your getting, get understanding. Let's pray. Father, we just bow this evening. We open your word once again. We know that you have something new. You have something fresh. You have something, Lord, that you want us to receive from you. You want us to... Uh, apply in our lives. You want us to embrace because this is the truth. This is the living scriptures. This is the bread that's come down out of heaven that we're holding in our very hands. The only perfect thing we'll handle in this life, your word. And we pray now, Lord, that uh, you would speak to us by it, that your spirit would open our minds. You would just drive out any other distractions that the enemy would seek uh, to bring into this place. Lord, that the cares of this day would melt away. We're thankful that not only are we gathered here, but all around the world, you've planted bodies of believers on every continent, every place, and Lord, we pray that uh, you would just continue, Lord, to stir the body of Christ through your word, the preaching of your word, through gathering together, even more so as we see the day of your return approaching. Bless this time tonight. May we draw nearer to you, fall more in love with you. For you have much more that you want us to do, even the remainder of this month, this year, this summer, and in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Solomon, speaking here, you've been with us uh, uh, these early chapters. In fact, almost all of Proverbs is from Solomon, but not exclusively, as we've talked about. But if you read the entire chapter... Solomon here, he's speaking to his children. He says, my children, hear my children. You parents, you know what it's like to tell your children, listen up. This is important. Listen. Make sure we're making eye contact. Listen to what I'm about to say. And if you looked at the entire chapter, and we will, but I'm not going to read past verse 7 until we go a little further. But getting ahead, what he's essentially saying in this entire chapter, not just the seven verses... Listen, my children, there are two paths in life you can take. As we go a little further, you'll see. Two paths in life you can take. One is wise. It'll take obedience. It'll take faith. It'll take effort. Took some effort to get out of bed this morning, didn't it? It'll take effort to open that Bible. It'll take intention but it'll be worth it, and you'll be blessed now. This is Solomon speaking to his children. This is God speaking to us, his children. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it now, and it'll be worth it in eternity. Amen? The other path, well, it's a foolish path to take, and it's a really easy road to travel, isn't it? You don't have to do much to travel that road. And you'll have plenty of company on that path because most of the world is cruising in that direction. Just flying by, a million miles an hour. They're in the convertible at the top down. Music playing. Got a promotion that day. Things are going great. At least it appears that way. Jesus said it this way in Matthew seven thirteen. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. There are many who go on it. So the broad road, Solomon's like, my children, two paths you can take. Most of the world is heading on that wide path. It's easy. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to think anymore, do you? Your smartphone can answer every question for you now even. Read my Bible for me. Thank you. 
do my devotions, I don't have time, right? You know, eventually people will probably start asking their phone to do these things. The broad road, the broad path, the foolish path, the narrow path and the wise path, these two paths. If you're taking notes tonight, though, I've titled in our study tonight is The Light of Wisdom. The, dark, the broad road is a dark road. It starts out looking like it has light, but it, it really doesn't. The narrow path is lit by Jesus himself. We see him at the end of that path, and we're looking towards him. We can see that light. You know when it's, uh, you know when it's pitch black in the woods, you've walked out or something, and, but there's a street light in a distance. You can follow that light all the way to that light because it still will shine even in darkness. That's the path we're on. We can actually see Christ at the end of that light. We want to look at four things in our uh, text tonight. This first in verses 1 through 7. Invest in truth. Verses 1 through 7. We want to look at uh, a couple of things here. Starting in verse 1. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father. Give attention to no understanding. The first thing, if you're taking notes under this invest in truth, let me go ahead and advance this so you can see where we're at. These first few verses. The first thing I want to look at if you're taking notes is he says in verse 1, hear, my children, the instruction of a father. There's a lot in that statement. You can just gloss over it, read right through it, but there's a lot there as far as our position as it relates to the Lord. First thing we need to do is we need to tune our ears to the instruction of the Father. We have to tune our ears to the instruction of our Heavenly Father. Well, how do we do that? Number one, we have to have communication with God. We have to talk to God. We have to have a prayer life. You can't have any relationship that's of any value with, with no communication whatsoever. None. Or very little. But no, we want to have a developing relationship, a growing relationship with God. We have to have a prayer life. We have to talk to God. We have to worship God. We have to praise Him when we don't feel like it. You know that song, He's a Good, Good Father? That's true. But we don't always feel that way. He's still good whether we feel like he's good or not. We're still not good whether we feel good or not. Even our righteousness, the Bible says, is filthy rags. See, when we feel righteous and holy, we're actually not. Now, we're covered by the blood of Jesus. We're covered by grace. But there's really nothing good in us. It's Christ in us is the only good. It's what he puts into our life. It's what the Holy Spirit gives us is what the payment of our sin on the cross and his resurrection gives. But other than that, nothing good in us. But so feelings either way, whether we feel righteous or don't feel righteous, whether we feel like praying or don't feel like praying, whether we feel like worshiping, we're to tune our ears to listen to God. Because he's still speaking to us even when it seems like he's not. You ever been there? He's still speaking. We have to tune our ears. You know what it's like to tune your ears. You know, you wake up in the middle of the night, you think you hear something. You ever had that? Last night, I don't know what it was. Um, I lay in the bed. First of all, we get home, and our second floor AC is not working. So up to the third floor guest room we have. Thankfully, we had one. So that's where we, we slept as a family. We got to camp again. We were camping like all in Guatemala and just, just kept right on rolling with it. Um, so we're upstairs camping out because there's air conditioning out there. And um, I, everyone else fell asleep, and I, I thought we were having an earthquake. I don't know what was going on with me, but we had one in Guatemala, and it was no joke. It dropped us to it. Well, you'll hear more about it in the 6. We had, it was a 6.5 in the Pacific. We felt a 4-something. And I'm telling you, we were doing this, and people had never been in an earthquake before. You have no idea. Are we close to the epicenter? Is it big here, or is it big somewhere else? You just don't know. But anyway, I thought we were having one. But you tune your senses to things, right? You hear something in the night. All of a sudden, you're like, did you hear that? No, I'm sound asleep. Why would I hear it? 
The other person's tuning their ear, and they can hear everything. The cricket that's eight miles away, you can hear. But God wants us to tune our ears to hear him. That we really are listening for his voice. That we're listening for his voice throughout the day that maybe speaks through another person. Maybe it's a song we hear on the radio. Maybe it's a teaching. But we're not just hearing it with our ears. We're hearing it with our hearts. Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. He wasn't speaking. Everyone has ears. Right? He wasn't speaking. Well, if you've got one of these things you can grab. He was talking about the ears that are in the heart. That's tuning our heart to hear God. And the in addition to prayer, in addition to worship, is the Word of God. I have to open the Word of God. That's where he speaks. That's his megaphone, but it's also his whisper. It's both. He speaks through his Word. The second thing in verses 1 through th- uh, 3 here, the first is we have to tune our ear to the instructions of our Father. Secondly, we have to give attention. Middle part of uh, verse 1, give attention to no understanding. Give attention to no understanding, for I give you good doctrine. What does this give attention mean? What can we learn from that? Well, I have in my notes, give attention to know and apply the Word of God. So first, we have to be hearing God. We have to be talking to Him, worshiping Him, praising Him, listening to His voice, praying, talking to Him, worshiping Him, opening the Word. That's listening. But give attention. What does that mean? Give attention to no understanding We have to give attention to know and apply the Word of God. It does us no good to read instructions to something and then not follow them. Right? Did you read the instructions how to assemble that? Yes, I did. Will you follow them? No, I won't. No value. Give attention, he says, to no understanding. We have to apply these things. How do we do that? Well, we have to study the Word of God. We have to be taught by those who are called to teach the Word of God. I listen to the teaching of other pastors and leaders from around the world that I know are anointed to teach the Word of God because I have to learn from them as well as do my own study. You have to do your own study, but you also have to sit under, put yourself under sound teaching. Not just here on Sundays and Wednesdays, but even, again, there's other sound teaching. You can say, I want to learn this. I want to be discipled in this area. We also have to discuss it with others of like faith. You know the early church in the book of Acts, they would get together constantly and discuss what they were learning? Did you know they did that? Do you know the Bereans in the book of Acts did the same thing? They would get together, they would discuss. People get together and discuss things that are not important. Book clubs, not that there's anything wrong with them. Fantasy football leagues, Xbox leagues, whatever. To get together and discuss things that aren't important, but we're to get together and discuss the things that are important. Other like faith. Iron sharpens iron, the Scripture tells us. And we're also, now the way we apply it, is we also, we're to teach it to other people. One of the best ways you can learn something is to teach somebody else. Yeah. That's why the writer Hebrews said, many of you ought to be teachers by now. That's why that... He said that. We don't know who, exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews. Many think Paul, but whoever wrote it said, many of you should be teachers by now. But the reason many are not, they either haven't been studying, they haven't been sitting under the Word of God, they haven't been discussing the Word of God with others, and they're not teaching it. Well, where do we teach it first? We teach it first to ourselves. That's applying it. You know, we've got to put the oxygen mask on first before we can put it on our kids. Airplane analogy. But secondly, we're to teach... Those in our own household, if you have children, if you have people in the house that are dependent upon you, we have to teach them the things of God. And then go beyond that. Some of you teach in children's ministry, some of you teach at Bonaire, some of you teach in various places uh, and other ministries here. Those are all good things. There's a Chinese proverb I love, when one teaches, there are two students. When one teaches, there are two students. When I teach up here, trust me when I tell you, God is teaching me the whole time. I don't know a pastor that really loves the Lord that truly wants to be used that doesn't feel the exact same way. When you step into a pulpit and you teach other people, you end up preaching yourself a sermon because you have to walk it out and you have to live it yourself. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor, not real sure of his 
well, he was sure of his calling, but he wasn't sure that he could actually get through all the attacks that Satan was bringing against him. Maybe you're not feeling tonight that you can get through all the attacks Satan's bringing against you. You can. Paul told him, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What was Paul saying? He said, Timothy, you're going to have to study the word, and when you, have, when you encounter difficulty, get in it even deeper. You in your life, you may not be called to be a pastor, elder, deacon, whatever it may be, but you are going to encounter things. God's going to say you have to get deeper into the word, deeper into the word. There'll come a time in life where the word of God will be the only thing that will give you a source of anchor and hope. It's a good place when you find it because you'll remember it the rest of your life. He also says, uh, for I give you good doctrine, do not forsake my law. Second half of verse 2, do not forsake my law. When I was young, my father's son, tender and the only insight of my mother, do not forsake the law. Christian, brother and sister, don't stop opening the word of God. Don't take a month off. Don't take a week off. What happens if you stop opening the Word of God? You'll end up just stop following God. Don't forsake the Word. If you forsake the Word, you'll forsake the walk. Have any of us decided this week, we're just not going to eat? Not only that, we're not going to drink any water, or any beverage for that matter of fact, because it's just too time-consuming to drink. And not only that, we're not going to sleep either because that, what a waste of time that is. So we've found that we, we're going to stop eating, stop drinking, and we're going to stop sleeping because we would give ourselves more time to be productive if we would just stop eating, drinking, and sleeping. Nobody thinks that way unless they're high on drugs or something, right? Nobody forgets to eat. I mean, you, you can forget to eat a meal, but you wouldn't forget. Seven days later, man, what am I forgetting? I know there was something I was supposed to do this week. Oh, I was supposed to eat at least once. I haven't had a drink in four or five days. Not, there's some drinks you don't want to have. You know what I'm talking about there. But you haven't had a Gatorade. You haven't had any water. You haven't had anything to drink. And then, oh, by the way, I forgot to go to bed for the last month. Of course not. We don't forget those things. We know we have to make time for food. We have to make time for hydration. We have to make time for proper sleep. We couldn't live without those things. We literally would die. Literally. Our physical bodies would collapse without food, drink, and sleep. It's a measure of them. We can't function without them. And by the way, we cannot function in the Holy Spirit without the Word of God and prayer and applying the Word of God. We can't. We're fooling ourselves if we think otherwise. We're on the same, we may not be unsaved, but we're walking like people that are on the broad road in that case, because they don't think those things are important either. But Solomon said to his son, don't forget the law. Don't forget the Word. Don't forget it. Don't forsake it. Because you cannot forget it and just forsake it anyway, right? Oh, I know, it's, I know the Bible's there. I haven't forgotten. I know exactly where it is. I know it's got a layer of dust on it. I know exactly where it is. I just don't read it. Job said in Job 23, 12, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That takes intention, by the way. Not feeling. Intention. There's many times, like the rest of you, I don't feel like opening a Bible. But every time I do, I'm glad I did after I did. There's never, I'll never be able to, there's not one time, not a single time in my life where I say, man, that was a waste. There's not a single time I've ever said, well, I wish I would have put that off a little bit longer. I've said that about every other unimportant thing, but not the Word of God. Verses 4 through 7, the third thing. So the first, if you're taking notes, tune our ears to the instruction of the Father. Number two, give attention to know and apply the Word of God. That, makes, that means we have to make time for it and make the effort. Then the third thing is to meditate on the Word of God and meditate on the wisdom of God. 
which they're synonymous. The, the only thing we know about the wisdom of God, we know from the Word of God. The only other thing you could say is you could look at things like the constellations. You could learn something of the wisdom of God by looking up at the heavens. You could look at creation and say, how in the world do you make a giraffe? So you could learn something about his intellect. But the wisdom that actually helps us live life, that you'll only get from the Word of God. You won't even get that from looking up at the stars. That'll tell you about the, the grand power and just unfathomable intelligence, omnipresence of God. But what we need for life, we have to meditate on the Word of God. So we have to tune our ears to hear Him. We have to make the time to apply the Word of God and give attention to it. But then we have to meditate on it because there's times where you don't have a Bible in your hand. But you still can think. You still can remember a verse. And you still can actually be encouraged and strengthened by I don't know about you, but I have, through different seasons of life, I'll have just passages I meditate on again and again. And they're powerful. They're like putting rocket boosters on you. When you can't get up a hill, God puts a light of verse underneath you. There you go. It'll give you comfort if you're in pain. It could be even physical pain. Amazingly, the Word of God can actually, it can actually dull physical pain, but it actually can certainly uh, give you comfort with emotional or, or just uh, things you're dealing with. But if you look at verse 5, he says, get wisdom and get understanding. In your Bible, do you have an exclamation point? Why would that be there? Well, I think um, the emphasis is strong here. You have to really desire. You have to really desire the mind of Christ. You have to really desire to hear from God and commune with God and to receive from God. We have no excuse to not receive more than we've been receiving. We have no excuse not to receive more than we've been receiving. No matter who's in this room, none of us have any excuse. We could be receiving more. This is Solomon speaking, but it's Jesus telling us, get wisdom, get understanding. I've told you where the well is, is where God's saying. All you have to do is put the bucket down. It's going to take some effort. By the way, you know we're so used to, in modern culture, the, the analogies of the of the Bible, you know, we just turn water, right? They didn't, it wasn't like that. They had to go and really fetch the pail. But they would know where the water was. They'd know where the well was. The more we study and then we meditate on God's word, the more like Christ become we become, the more humble we become, the more teachable we become. Not only teachable from people teaching us, more importantly, teachable from God teaching us, shaping us, changing us. And look at verse 6. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Continue to verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom in all you're getting. Get understanding. What can we learn from verses 6 and 7? Well, it's primarily verse 6. It says, love her, and she will keep you. Now, we know that Solomon is describing wisdom in the terms here as if it's given a feminine term to it, kind of like we would look at the Statue of Liberty, we call it Lady Liberty. But we know that Lady Liberty stands for liberty. It's not really a woman. This isn't either. It's, it's a type. It's a, uh, it gives us a, you know, some physical characteristics, if you will. But wisdom is really the Word of God. And who, according to John 1, is the Word of God? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was... God, it's actually Jesus, we can and we must fall in love with the Word of God and the living Word Himself. Not just apply it, but fall in love with it. Learn to love it. Say, Lord, help. And you got to, this should be part of your prayer. Lord, help me to love you more and to love your Word more. And he'll, that's a prayer He'll answer. Don't you agree? That's a prayer God will answer. Let's look at the next few verses, verses 8 through 13. First was invest in truth. The next is, uh, I love this one, expect victory. We have a lot of Christians living in just complete defeat. Well, maybe if we survive, 
Maybe. You think the apostles walked around like this? No. Peter's walking by. I don't have anything that's going to heal you, but get up and walk. Be healed. Power. I don't have any money. Peter says, silver and gold, I don't have any of that. But I do have something. Rise and walk. They got that from Jesus. Because Jesus never walked around in a defeated manner. Now there's a difference. We're not talking about being arrogant. Prideful. We should be the most humble people on earth. But just a confidence that as we've put our faith and trust in God, he'll keep not only his end of the bargain, but far beyond anything we have ever comprehended. This is what he's, look, look at the verses of what he says. Let's look, look at verses 8 through 13. Read them. Starting in verse 8, exalt her. Again, this is speaking of wisdom. Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace and a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Now, no doubt some of this is speaking of the future state of when we stand before the Lord and receive the rewards of Christ. But it's not all future. A lot of this is right now. Now, the future's more... It's more glorious, but some of this is for now today as well. Let's read on. Verse 9, or verse 10. Hear, my son, and receive my sayings. And the years of your life will be many. I've taught you at the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. When you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. When we invest in the Word of God, so look at verses 8 through 13. Taking notes under this expect victory. When we invest in the Word of God, we can expect. I mean, when we invest, we got, God says, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tune your ears to listen to me. I want you to worship me. I want you to pray. And you say, Lord, I'm going to do that. I want you to give attention. I want, to, I want you to make time. I want you to make the reading of my Word more important than all these other things that you've made important. You say, Lord, I'll do that. I want you to meditate on the Word of God and throughout the day. I want you to turn off the radio sometimes. I just want you to meditate on a verse. Say, Lord, I'll do it. If we said yes, 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 and did those things with all of our heart, he'll meet us right there and say, all right, now you can start to expect victory in your life like you've never seen before. Really? Yes. Was that, did that apply just to certain people? No. Every single person in this room, any person that would walk in if they're saved and born again, they could start to expect victory in their life. This doesn't, say, doesn't mean that everything will be perfect. doesn't mean John Erickson Tata is going to get out of her wheelchair tomorrow. didn't say that every problem would be solved. didn't say that every blind Christian would be able to see tomorrow. But victory is assured to every saint that walks in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can expect, this is what Solomon's telling his son. He says, you will be successful in the Lord. The world might not consider it, but you will walk in victory and you will not have the enemy over top of you. Quite the opposite. You'll be trampling, as Paul wrote to the Romans, you'll be trampling Satan underfoot. When we had Lewis Neely preach to us, you're going to see his message later this summer. You guys, uh, I hope you guys were blessed by the Jim Cimbala message. But you're going to get to see Lewis Neely, it's just as powerful. Matter of fact, in some ways, it's more... Jim's message is a great message for one respect, but Lewis is a powerful message, and Lewis told the guys at the end, he goes, man, you're going to make it. He goes, I want you to walk out of here, and I want you to find some darkness and punch it in the face. (laughs) He's he's, he's like 80 years old, and uh, he just got a little fired up there for a moment. But the reality is, God will allow us to, that's why David wrote in the 23rd Psalm, yea, that I walk the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not going to fear any evil. Remember David wrote that? Why? Because he said, the Lord is a shepherd. And if God before you, who can be against you? Lions, bears, Goliath, doesn't matter. We invest in the word of God. We can expect God to lift us to new heights. You believe that? We can expect God to lift us to new heights. He's telling his son, he says, you follow these things, you walk on the right paths, you're not going to be hindered, and you're not going to stumble. You're going to run even. When other people are following in, you're going to run. Verse 11, 
And when you run, you'll not stumble. We'll take some bumps. We'll take some bruises. We'll take some slips. We'll actually take some falls. We, we don't look at one chapter, by the way, in a vacuum. We look at the whole counsel of God. Other verses tell you that a righteous man falls seven times, yet he'll get back up. So when we look at the Word of God, don't ever look at one chapter in a vacuum or by itself. We look at the whole counsel of God. But the bottom line is, if you scraped your knee uh, in a race, doesn't mean you're out of the race. You can get up and run some more. You'll see victory. Even a slew of darts from the enemy will come our way. The Bible tells us that we can quench the darts of the enemy. He says here in verse um, 8, exalt her and she will promote you. She'll bring you honor when you embrace her. What does this promote mean? We exalt the wisdom of God and it'll promote us. What does that mean? Well, the Hebrew word here is, it's pronounced room. Room. It means to rise or to rise up, to be high, to be exalted, to be lifted up, or to cause to grow. In other words, to mature. He says when, when we embrace wisdom, God will mature us. Does that make sense as you've studied the rest of the scriptures? When we embrace the things of God and apply the things of God, He'll cause us to mature, He'll lift us to new heights. He'll actually take us beyond where we're at today. Wherever we are spiritually, God will take us beyond that. There's no way I can teach my children to grow in Christ if I'm not growing in Christ. Impossible to teach. If you're here and you're not growing in the Lord, but you're hoping your kids are going to grow in the Lord, that's just a wing and a bat. But if you're growing in the Lord, you can be assured victoriously they can grow in the Lord. Now, they can also reject the Lord. I understand that. But your chance of them really growing is to see, or them to see you and I growing. And for our newer believers here, for they come into the body of Christ, they get saved. We've had people saved this year in 2016. For them to grow, they need to see us growing. They need to see that this actually works. That this isn't just a bunch of lip service. These things actually work. That if we actually do the things God says we actually will see the results that God promises. You know, God keeps his promise. Isn't that great to know? Christian, do you think it's a victory when you see your faith growing? I certainly do. It's weird. It's not something you can taste. It's not something you can handle. It's not something you can actually package and send in the mail, and yet faith is as real as this wooden piece of pulpit here. And when I sense my faith growing, I know God is in it. How about you? When I sense, man, I, I think God's going to take us further than we're at. I think he's going to do this. I think he can. God loves when we do that. When we think in those terms, is your faith growing? If your investment in the love for the word of God and for fellowship for worship and for prayer, which each of those are forms of wisdom. Those are all wise things. If any of those things have waned, or if they've all waned, you can be sure your faith will wane too. When you no longer, eh, I don't want to hang out with a bunch of Christians. They talk about boring stuff. Talk about faith. Talk about the Bible. I want to talk sports 24-7. Like the guys on the AM radio station, you know? I want to talk about other stuff. I don't want to read the Word of God. I want to read the Wall Street Journal or Southern Living or whatever people like to read. Those things aren't wrong. But if the Bible and other believers and all that stuff is crowded out and it's all replaced by the same thing that's on every newsstand, on every smartphone, on every TV set, on everybody's mind, our faith will go like this. I don't believe God for big things. They'll wane. That's not the only thing that'll wane. Peace will start to wane in our life. Joy will start to wane in our life. Patience will become very impatient people will start to wane in our life. Contentment will always want what everybody else has and be bummed out that we don't have it. Contentment will start to wane. Compassion, we won't even care about people that are dying or going to hell. We certainly won't care about people that have a fraction of what we have because, hey, tough luck for them, they were born in another country or 
They're born in the inner city or they're born over here. Really, any aspect of the fruit of the Holy Spirit will wane. But what we apply, we can expect God to work. When we apply it, we can expect God to stir us, to infuse us with his power. We apply God's guidance and commands, we can expect to grow spiritually. We can expect to grow in peace. We can expect to grow in joy. We can expect to grow in believing God for things that other people would think are impossible. I told the team when we were down there, I said, I believe every one of us can be fluent in Spanish in five years. Why? Because that's not hard for God. What usually keeps us from doing anything? We're too busy with things that are unimportant. I've thought, I was, I was, as I was running and praying today, I was thinking, one of the easiest things I could do, because I actually like to study to some degree, I could go get a master's in divinity. But 90% of the world doesn't need me to have a master's in divinity. They need me to have a master's in compassion and love. They need me to have a master's in loving them like Jesus did. That's just a, you, you try and tell a poor person in Guatemala that you have a master's in divinity and see what they care about that. It'll make as much sense you pull out a $1 bill. They don't know which one, you know, neither one of them is any value to them. But if I were to learn a second language, when I was in the business world, if I learned a second language, it could mean promotions and higher pay and big opportunities for international travel. If I worked for an international company, a second language, I could But I didn't even care about it then because I was busy doing things for the church with my free time. Now I want to learn a second language not because of promotions or money or big business stuff, but to reach more people. We have a growing Spanish population here. Say, well, I want to learn Spanish. Fine, learn Mandarin. Learn Arabic, and you can start to talk to Muslims. God says, if you want to believe me for big things, I'll do big things. You want to just focus on the tiniest. I just want to barely just read my little daily bread, and I'm good. Then there's no investment. But Solomon was telling his, he was telling his children, receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. And it's not just the many as far as the number of years, but it's the life in those years, the life of God. How many of you, how many of you, when you're, when you're really hungry, and you sit down at a Mexican restaurant, you expect your hunger to be gone real soon? I say Mexican restaurants not because we just got back from a Spanish-speaking country, because they put chips right there before <laughs> the meal even comes. You're already, your hunger's dissipating well before you've ordered. I know because I don't get out of here until like 2 o'clock on a Sunday. And I know when I go to a Mexican restaurant, even though it's going to be a while, there's already food on the table. The chips alone are defeating hunger. You have the expectation that this heaven-sent Mexican food, and yes, it is heaven-sent. I know some of you like Asian better, but you've been wrong before. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But that food will make light work of your hunger. And when you eat there, you'll even grow some, but maybe not the way you want it to grow, right? Your waistline grows, you know. But with the wisdom of God, and the obedience to the word of God, we can also fully expect to be fed and to grow and to see our faith strengthen and to see our flesh dropping off and to see the spirit in control and we'll more and more ignore the flesh because the flesh lies to us all the time. The biggest liar in my life is the flesh. You need this. No, I don't. Holy Spirit says no. Thanks, but no thanks. Get, goodbye. We'll see the flesh dropping off and the spirit in control. We'll ignore the flesh more and more. And we'll respond in victory as the spirit gives us life and gives us power to what are otherwise really weak and ineffective lives. That's all of us without the Holy Spirit. We'd just be very weak and ineffective. Like Peter couldn't walk on water by himself, but with God he could, right? Of that, he's fallen like everybody else. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me. That power was given to those that waited on the Lord. They had to wait for 10 days. That was obedience. That was fellowship. They would have sat there and read the word the whole 10 days and pray. All the things that God said, these things, and then you'll receive power. 
Why didn't he just give it? Because God wants to know if our hearts are in it. Amen? But we can expect victory if we would say, Solomon's son could say, all right, Dad, I'm going to do the things you've outlined. Solomon says, you do that, you will not be hindered in life. You'll break every chain. You'll be like Samson, popping chains off. Next one. Be a light. Look at the verses uh, 14, um, 14 through 19. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they do not sleep unless they have done evil. And their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Verse 18 is an awesome verse, probably underlined in many of your Bibles. But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter under the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. What a contrast. We'll come back to that. Be a light. Every person on this planet will either be a light or a casualty. Every single person will either be a light or a casualty. Unless they're born like as an infant before the age of accountability. But anyone that grows up to actually make a choice in life is either going to be a light or they're going to be a casualty. They're either, a, they're either a light or a statistic. They're either a what could have been or not. They're either a genuine light in this world that shines or they're the appearance of a light that when it's dark, there's no light at all. What do I mean by that? You ever have a thunderstorm and all the power goes out and you go to grab a flashlight, click, nothing. Open it up. There's either corrosion or they just died out because somebody left it on. Who left it in the on position? Dads would say that, right? (laughs) But either way, the flashlight looks like it's in great condition. And you expect light to come out of it. It's clean. It looks great. It should work. But it doesn't. No light comes out of it. Looks the same as a working flashlight. If two side by side, one wasn't left in the auto position, it works fine. One's giving light, one isn't. And Jesus said that he was the light of the world, not only was, but is. But he also called us to let our light shine, that men might see the good works that God does in us and glorify our Father in heaven, Matthew 5, 16. And the best, and in fact the only way to be a light and to stay a light is to be plugged into the light of Christ. He's the one that has the life-giving power through his blood, the life-giving power through his grace, the life-giving power through his Holy Spirit. Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 2.15 that you may become, it takes time of maturing, You've got to grow in the Lord. You've got to keep applying. You've got to meditate on the Word. But you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We live in a crooked and perverse generation. We didn't even know when we were down in Guatemala until 24 hours later that someone had shot up a nightclub, killing all these people and the evil generation that we live in. Of course, we don't know what sin is either in this country on top of all that. We don't know what God's definition of things are. But we're still called to be blameless and loving and Christ-like in the midst of all of this crooked and perverse world, and it was just as bad in Paul's day in the Roman Empire. We're called to be a light. But those batteries have to stay charged in us, don't they? Because when the lights go off, who's going to put the flashlight on? It has to be the body of Christ. The world isn't going to do it. Matter of fact, they hate each other. Throughout history, God's used one evil empire to destroy another evil empire. 1 Peter 2.9. This is speaking of the body of Christ. This is, a, this is Calvary Chapel of Richmond. 
But you are a chosen generation, not just us, but all of our brothers and sisters in Christ and other denominations, so it's the whole body of Christ. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that he may proclaim, that you may proclaim, I should say, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of what? Darkness into his marvelous light. That's the broad road that was a destruction. Everyone's going down that downhill slide. It's easy to go down. You don't have to do anything. Don't just use the brakes. Just keep going down the dark road. But God called us up. We have to come uphill out of the dark, which he pulls us up out into his marvelous light. This is our calling. This is our command. This is our privilege and our honor for everyone in here to be a mini lighthouse. And where he puts your mini lighthouse is not the same as where he puts mine. Your mini lighthouse is in such and so neighborhood at such and so job. My mini lighthouse is such and so neighborhood and pretty much all of Richmond for me. We're all called to be miniature light givers because he is the light flowing through us. Not only are we commanded to be a light, but we can expect to shine even brighter as we go on in the Lord. Just like we can expect victory, we can expect to shine brighter as we continue to grow. The Lord not only keeps us shining, thank God for that, right? Because if, if the Lord hadn't been on our side, we would have stopped shining a long time ago. That's what grace is. We're going to get into Galatians, all about grace. I've said it before, James is about the works that we're called to do. Galatians is about the grace that helps us to do it. You need both. He'll give you the grace, but then you have to respond by the grace and actually go and say, yes, Lord, I will do as you have commanded. Then he'll give us the power to be a light. But we're commanded to be a light. He'll help us to grow brighter. The Lord keeps us shining. By his grace, we can grow. We can shine brighter as our faith, as our love, as our joy, as our commitment to Christ. Each of these things grow. And they don't grow independently, they grow together. Love, patience, joy, peace, they're all connected to all the work of the Holy Spirit. Isn't verse 18 awesome? But the path of the just is like the shining sun. The sun, it shines every day. And amazingly enough, even if it's a cloudy day, you still have plenty of light to walk around outside when the sun comes up. Doesn't matter if it's a cloudy day. The sun shines bright day after day. The sun, I don't understand. You ever, you ever studied the sun at all, like read a National Geographic article about it, and you're like, how does this ball of fire just continue to be a ball of fire? Well, God gives us this sustaining uh, glow that really is his spirit. It shines, but unlike the sun, we can get brighter and brighter and brighter brighter, people will see more and more of the life of Christ in us. You'll, by the Lord, win someone over in this lifetime that you never thought you would. Well, not you, but Christ in you. Because they'll see your light. Begin, they're like, you know, when I first knew you, you really got on my nerves. I couldn't stand your Christianity. But you kind of grew on me. And you still loved me even when I was a jerk. You're like, yeah, I did. I've had some of those conversations later on with people. They're wonderful because God allows you to continue to shine and continue to reach out. That's what the just, that's what those who apply the word of God under the perfect day. We're not to the perfect day yet. That's still coming. Amen? The perfect day is heaven, but we'll shine, and we'll never have perfection shine. That's only Jesus but will shine brighter. You know, you think you've seen the, the most powerful you know, flashlight until you go to Brookstone, and you find that they have one that's uh, 800 lumens more or whatever else. That's what God does in us. We can become wiser. We can become more like Jesus as we decrease, as he increases in our life. As we humble ourselves, actually him, he shines more through us. The more we humble ourselves at the foot of the cross... When I was a kid, going to Sunday school, uh, even though I didn't get saved until I was 26, many of you probably went to church when you weren't saved, and you still went to... Remember when you went to Sunday school in VBS, they sang this song, This, this Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine? You know that one? 
And everyone says, don't let Satan it out. Well, this talks about that. It says, don't go the path of the wicked. Verse 16 says, uh, and their sleep is taken, uh, is taken away unless they make someone fall. You know who wants to make you fall? Satan himself. He does want to blow out your light and my light. Satan wants those that are in darkness to stay in darkness and those that have actually tasted the light of Christ to go back to darkness. Everyone in darkness, stay there. Everyone in light, get back there. That's his plan. Peter warns in 2 Peter 1.9, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even in blindness, has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Peter warned the church that actually you can forget the great salvation you have and actually drift back to darkness. Even the point you look blind again. If we're not growing and the light and the protection of Christ isn't there, the lures of the world become much, much, much stronger. It's hard to be lured by the world when you're in love with Jesus. But it's easy to be lured by the world when you're not really in love with Jesus because everything else seems more attractive. See, Satan has a plan to make you and I fall. This is serious stuff, Christian. Did you know that Satan has a plan for everyone in this room to make you fall? I love Jesus, but Peter, he said, but I've prayed for you that, you won't, that your faith won't fail. And those of us that are actually have our eyes on Jesus, he won't let our faith fail. But if we say we're just going to mail it in, well, then we could actually get torn up. Job survived. Satan had a plan for him, didn't he? Peter survived. Satan had a plan for him. Paul survived. Satan had a plan for him. Paul said he had a messenger of Satan constantly buffeting him. Everyone. Satan had a plan for Jesus. Forty days in the wilderness, he tried to get Jesus to fall. Well, if he worked Jesus hard, you can better believe he'll send, at least it's probably a low-level demon for most of us here, but he'll send somebody to try and get you to fall. But it's not hard for him to get people to fall that aren't in the Word of God, that aren't in love with Jesus, that aren't in prayer, that aren't in fellowship, that don't want the things of God. Easier to fall. He says, do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. In other words, Psalm says, don't even sniff the ways of the world. This was a big problem that Lot had. How close can I get to Sodom but not have it wreck my family? Right? Destroyed his whole family. Lost everything. Well, at least I got to go to heaven. My kids went to hell, but I got there. You think Lot was feeling that way? No way. No, it was a miserable thing to know that he had actually squandered portions of his family. All because he just, he had stopped loving the way of truth that his uncle Abraham had. And started to look and say, that looks kind of a little more attractive. Don't even sniff the path of the world, Solomon's saying here. But if you're going to be a light, you won't have time to sniff the world. You only have time to shine the light in the world. Amen? That's a good thing. Last thing. It's kind of a repetitive thing, but I'm not repeating it. Solomon is. So, last few verses, verses 20 through 26. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Didn't he already say this? Yes, he said almost the same thing in verse 1. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them. You know, the world's trying to find life in all the wrong places. God's life. The Ten Commandments are not burdensome. To the believer, they're life-giving because we know that he writes those tablets, he writes those same commandments on the tablets of our heart. But they are life to those who find them in health, all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Put away from you a a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Yeah, because there's a lot of distractions to the left and right. They put bridles on a horse for a reason. Let your eyelids not let your eyes look right before you ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. So he closes with what I've titled stay 
Stay vigilant. Stay vigilant. Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, let a man examine himself. I don't know about you, but I'm always exam- examining myself. And I'm really not examining myself. The Holy Spirit examines me, and I'm actually looking at the report, if you will. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that, that needs work. Yep, that too. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that was a blown opportunity. Uh, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. At least some of you had that happen this week too. All right, very good. Usually that's somewhere in my house. It's usually not outside the four walls, but although that's happened too. Even in the pulpit too. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, you know this verse, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I don't have any confidence in my flesh, but I have confidence to know if I follow what God says, he will give victory. He will help me be a light. He'll help you have victory and help you be a light. But you can't help yourself, but you can obey the Lord, and I can obey the Lord. How do we do this? How do we, how do we take heed lest we fall? Well, we keep our eyes and our hearts and our worship on Jesus. Even our worship, because everyone worships something. Your coworkers at work all worship something. They might worship their kids' little league team. They might worship their bass boat. They might worship their crocheting side, you know, craft fair every weekend that they're selling stuff. I don't know what it is. Everybody worships something. But what are our eyes on? What are our hearts on? As we stay in the Word of God and we stay in prayer, what do we get from God when we stay in the Word and prayer? We get light from Him. We get conviction from Him. We get correction from Him. We get guidance from Him. We get continual healing. How many of you need continual healing? Yeah. Physically, God, some of you, God is going to heal you completely. I believe that. I don't know who you are. Some of you, God's going to completely heal. And the more you surrender, he's going to say, I just was trying to get your attention for all these years. Some of this room, that may be all God is saying. I, I feel some things God's made me healthier in the last few years because he uses it to refine us. Others, it may be something else he's going to heal you from. But some, he's not going to heal you in certain areas because you're still resistant. You still say, I, no, I'll do it my own way. And God said, okay, you do it your way. He wants to work in our lives. He wants to spring forth life. He's not going to take away every single problem. I'm not saying that. Some things he's not going to heal. Don't, get, don't be misunderstood. But there's things that he wants to do that we're the only impediment to him saying, I was ready to answer that prayer 10 years ago, but you wouldn't have it, or I wouldn't have it. I'm not willing to do this. And God says, I'm, all right, I'll answer it. But this one, this rock's not going to get moved until you... You know, Jacob had this. He wrestled with God, didn't he? God tweaked his hips. And now we're in business, aren't we? Right? He wants us to stay vigilant, to keep our hearts in tune with his. We stay in fellowship. We've got we to prioritize it. Don't just show up at church. Fellowship with people. Get into relationships. Why? Because we have accountability with people in a relationship. I know many men that have no discipleship, whatever, and never been discipled. They don't have any discipleship in their life. This is not scriptural. We have to be in relationships. We have to be accountable. We can't be islands. Sometimes whole fellowships fall away because they all take their eyes off Jesus. Collectively. Ever seen an entire church fall? It's happened lots of times. Jesus wrote to the seven churches in Asia, right? Revelation chapter 2 and 3 writes the seven churches in Asia. Some were in full-blown sin, immorality, sexual sins, idolatry, rebellion, but they were still doing church. Did you know that? They were all still doing church. Worship band was still worshiping. You know, it might have been some of the worst teams was getting paid and they weren't even saved. That happens today. They didn't have that then. I just kind of blended two histories at the same time. Some were like Sardis. Well, the church of Sardis, busy, busy, busy with church activity. Lots of ministry going on, but no work of the Spirit. Tons of ministry going on. They looked like they had bounce houses going everywhere and they had all stuff going and everyone was saying, that's an amazing church and God says it's dead. Others like Ephesus, they were pillars of sound teaching, great teaching, 
Awesome teaching. Truth, but they had no tender love for Christ and no tender love for people. You poor sinner. I wish I was, had time for you, but I've got to teach some more. Listen to these. This was Jesus' scathing indictment of these different churches. The church in Laodicea, well, it was lukewarm. They liked church a lot, but they loved and adored their stuff. Let me say that again. They liked church, but they loved their stuff. And they adored their stuff, and they loved their leisure, and they loved their achievements, and they loved their careers, and they loved their titles, and they loved the pats on the back that they received in the community, but they liked church, but they loved everything else about themselves and what they had accumulated and the houses they had built and all the things they had amassed and all their vacations and all the stuff. They loved that stuff, but they liked Jesus. And Jesus said, you am going to vomit out of my mouth. That's what he said to the church Laodicea. So each of these churches, they didn't stay vigilant. They didn't listen to the teaching of God. And it says at the end here, look straight ahead. Ponder the path of your feet and let your ways be established. What should be on our feet? Shod with the gospel of peace. The gospel will always keep the church focused on the right thing. It'll always keep us focused on that there really is a heaven and there really is a hell, and that should get our attention to say, Lord, that's why you came, that's why you died, that's why you're from the dead, and that's why you sent the Holy Spirit. It really is that simple. Our feet should be in the direction of, Lord, you've put us on this earth, not for ourselves, but to do your work and to be a light for you and to have the gospel at our feet. Or ponder the path of your feet. If you can't see the gospel on your feet, it's time for a feet washing. Amen? Jesus washes the top. If you cannot see the gospel on your feet, you can't even remember the last time you shared Jesus with anybody, invited someone to church, thought about, prayed about, Lord, how do we see victory in these areas? It's time to have a feet washing. Someday, these same feet are going to stand before Jesus. My two feet. And your two feet will stand before and give an account of every second of our life. Every single second. And we have a chance to shine brighter and brighter or go dimmer and dimmer. Solomon said there's two paths, son. You can just keep shining and get brighter and brighter and brighter as you follow the Lord. And by the way, the brightest saints you'll ever meet are the most gentle, compassionate, humble saints you'll ever meet. They will not lord their spirituality over you. Quite the opposite. Whenever you see someone lording their spirituality, you can guarantee they're not all that mature. But they're good at a show. And that's what Jesus wrote to those seven churches. This vigilance, he says, this will be springing life out. Bringing forth light. Closing word from a man that lived this his whole life. Some closing words of wisdom from D.L. Moody on how to grow in the Lord Very simple statement, but I love it. How to grow in the Lord as shine as light and be vigilant in your Christian life. This is what he said. Be careful for nothing. Prayerful for everything. Thankful for anything. D.L. Moody. Prayerful and careful for nothing. In other words, you're living life to say, it's all about Jesus. (laughs) Prayerful for everything. Constant communion with God. Thankful for anything. Thankful God, thank God for the grace to be a light, to even to be alive. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Lord, indeed, your word gives us everything we need to know for life and for godliness. And Lord, as we receive and accept your wisdom, Lord, you want to do in each person here a work that we would never believe miracles in our life and lives of others. You want to do a work in this church that we've not even pondered. But Lord, I do believe as we commit to hearing and tuning our ears to you, to being attentive to your word, to be in your word, to be soaking it up, reading it, asking you to love it, asking us to help, help us to love it, to be in prayer, to obey, and Lord, just to avoid the things of this world but yet to pray for those that are in the world. 
and to ponder the direction of our feet. Lord, are our feet shod with the gospel of peace? Lord, you'll cause us to grow, to mature, and to flourish, even in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And Lord, not only will our own families see the salvation, but Lord, we'll see other families, even ones in this community that we've been praying for, that we thought, well, Lord, they, they'll never come to you. Lord, we pray that you would use us to pull many out of the broad road to destruction. And Lord, those of us in this room would recommit and resurrender to being the lights and the witnesses you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.